drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello and welcome to episode 18 of Drive-By Cinema. This time with a special guest. Uh, my usual co-host, Paul, is here. Hello, Richard, and hello, everybody. Welcome to my chambre. And our frequent correspondent, listener Alistair, is joining us as a guest appearance today. Hello there. Hello, Rick. Hello, Paul. Thank you very much for having me. You're more than welcome, Alistair. Paul, Alistair yes. recently described you as the being twat. a food pervert. Oh. <laughs> well, it's better than what I expected. It's going to be like that, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, a free free for all here. I think cage, I had misunderstood. Cage fighting, cage fighting <laughs> podcast. Ultimate pod. I think I had misunderstood, though, hadn't I? What uh, what had happened? I thought it was because of a of a dislike of mince pies in general. However, Richard did correct me, and it was that you have a dislike of mince pies at times of the year other than Christmas. Is that is that more accurate? Did I say that, Richard? You you were referring to your Christmas cupboard raids. Ah, yes. And yeah. you said that you didn't like mince pies outside of Christmas, or, or what to that effect? Earlier every year. Tut, tut, tut. No, yeah, well, maybe, perhaps. Uh, I mean, food pervert? It's fair enough, I suppose. Pervert is probably fair enough. I mean, this entire podcast owes its existence to Paul, Paul's food perversion anyway. It sprang out of an analysis of Paul's lockdown culinary, what's the word, peccadilloes. Richard, can I interrupt? Well, can I interrupt? Would, would you say I'm an you over... You usually do. Would you, say I'm an, would you say I'm an overconfident person that needs their ties puncturing? <laughs> because that's what you're doing to my heart right now, Richard. I thought you were very Stop. confident in your cuisine. Look both ways and think before you cross that road. It's me. possible that Alistair hasn't seen the slideshow that we put together. Uh, well, which documents rate, my, rate my plate. Are... Yeah, the rate my plate slideshow. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, I've not seen that. Do you know rate my plate, Alistair? No, I don't. What is uh, that? It's where you kind of intentionally or unintentionally cook really awfully presented food and, and offer it for other people for downvoting. For downvoting. <laughs> <laughs> I won. I won. Yeah. It's a bit, a bit like pointless, but with food. Yeah, but it's not clear if the upvotes are downvotes or the downvotes are downvotes. So. I was going to say, it's messing with the axes, isn't it? A it is, bit. yeah. Was that because of the burger with carrot batons on it? Was that the reason for the... Potentially. Was, was that my submission? Or was it something with olives in it? Fish and chips and olives or something. I'm for once staying tight-lipped. Fish and chips and olives. So, sorry to interrupt, but do you know when you go to the lift and, it's, it, and there's an up button and a down button? Well, in some yes. countries, pressing up summons it to where you are or something like that. That can't be true. No, that's not true. But anyway, it would be nice if it was true. It would be nice if you could confuse people like that. I'll tell you what the most efficient way of using or designing lifts is. It's called lobby dispatch. And the idea is that when you arrive at the lobby, you immediately press the button of the floor you wish to go to. And then a centralised computer can dispatch the right lift to the right floors so that it picks people up on the way, you know, and lets them off in an appropriate fashion. Yeah. Rather than waiting till everyone is in a lift and then they all press the buttons. And then, of course, the lift just has to go to each one in a sequence, which is very inefficient. It is. With lobby dispatch, you know... Immediately when you press the button, a little light shows up and it tells you which lift to get. So Genius. in this system, once you're inside the lift, you can't change your order, so to speak. No, that would break everything. No, yeah, you have to you decide really before you the get system at that point, couldn't you? I was in a building. I was working in a building in Singapore uh, just uh, before lockdown happened, actually. What were you doing? Repairing the lifts? No, I wish. I wish it was that easy. A card, a security card. And as soon as I swipe into the building, the lift immediately knows where I'm going to go. So by the time I arrive oh, at the fire. lobby, I know which lift to get into to go to the floor that I'm allowed to go to. What they, is that geofencing? Is that what they call that? It certainly removes all your agency from the whole decision-making process, which is why I'm so pleased that Paul lets me choose the movie sometimes. <laughs> What's wrong with lift attendants? You know, somebody who, you know, they used to have people who would, their job was to stand in a lift and ask people which floor they were going to. 
And they would, if in a department store, they would announce the goods that were sold on that particular floor as as in the opening um, and closing titles music for Are You Being Served? <laughs> I, I, know where, I know where they've gone. They've all been ethnically cleansed by Jordan Peterson, so... Jordan Peterson. Who, uh, now you did mention that the uh, that um, oh, this I'm, I'm skipping ahead to IO here already. See, I've got IO on the IO. Brain. No, let's start. Let's it's get why into I'm here. It's why I'm here. It is why it? you're here. Yes, yeah. yeah, because yeah, you had mentioned that you thought we'd missed some important points about IO. I mean, I'd characterise your position as wanting to advocate for the film, but I think that may be putting it too strongly. Yeah, perhaps a little bit. I mean, Paul Paul said, um, "Defend the indefensible <laughs> with with it." Um, I, I, it's not quite that, and it's not. I don't think it's indefensible. Hmm. I want to stick up for it a bit, if yes. that makes makes some sense. Now, I'll be honest. My big a big part of my motivation is guilt because I had recommended to Richard that you watch uh, IO for the podcast. Um, I mentioned High Life as well, which you also didn't like. <laughs> But um, I think I, I I kind of pushed IO a bit more because I, I I thought it was a better lockdown film actually. Given at, right at the start of your podcast, you were definitely going for lockdown themed or flavored science fiction films, and I thought IO was a really good example of one of those. I still think that's the case as well. Um, so, but I, I I did feel bad that you didn't like it. I I, I so I I must admit I feel a bit guilty. So I thought, well, I I can probably stick up for the film a little bit, but I can also help maybe to foster a, a bit more appreciation for it. High Life is a different kettle of fish, though. <laughs> High Life's a different kettle of fish. I think High Life is a difficult film to like. It is. I do yes. like it. I do like it. I think it's it's definitely more arty. Um, it's very French, made by a French director. Apparently, Claire Denis spent fifteen years developing High Life, um, which is astonishing. Nearly the length of time depicted in the film. <laughs> yeah, and Robert Pattinson spent five years um, lobbying to get cast in it. Yeah. And his his role was originally written with, um, I think it was Philip Seymour Hoffman in mind. Are you a Robert Robert Pattinson fan? Uh, not really, no. Um, but I quite—I've only seen him in a couple of things. But yeah. I think he's quite good. I thought he was very good in High Life. Actually, I'm looking forward to seeing how he does Batman and Bruce Wayne. That'll be interesting. But uh, yeah, he apparently he really wanted to be in uh, High Life, and he always turned up at auditions for about five—well, turned up for about five years wanting to to get in on on the act. I think High Life is an is what I would call it an ugly film, though. It's yeah. very unpleasant. Very unpleasant. Um, it's hard to stomach in parts you know um but it's i think it's very clever now i think io's not nothing like that at all i think it's um it doesn't do itself any favors i think uh, is the problem that io has um, so i'm not going to try and defend it in that sense i think it is flawed i think it has got problems i think it has more to it than is often seen on a first viewing but it really doesn't make it easy. I've spent, I mean, in order to prepare for coming on the, the podcast today, I, I listened over to to the podcast where you discussed it again, just to make sure that I'd, I'd, take, I'd taken on board exactly what, you, what you'd said. Um, and then I've watched the film at least twice since that, just to sort of compare it and compare it with my thoughts. I've even watched a couple of other people's YouTube videos about about it as well. And I can, I've got a bit, a bit of a better way. I think I can explain it a bit more clearly now. But I've yeah. had to do a lot of work to do that. You know, it's, it's almost like you've got to pass an entrance exam to really kind of get this film. But I will just want to remind you of a couple of things. In the at the start of the podcast on IO, Rick, you said you were talking about Tenet. Yes, and you, and you did say you get what you put in. Um, hmm. You can't expect to be spoon-fed. And I think the same is true of IO. Not in the sense of effort required, but it's more about knowledge uh, that you might need, well, you do need in advance in order to, to, to get what's going on. So I think that's a bit, you know, you, if you need, a, you need to pass an entrance exam to appreciate a film, it's... I think that's a bit of a hard, a bit of hard work, and I, I take Paul's point in the same podcast that you know, as a consumer, you have a right to, you know, to to not have to put that kind of effort in. I think you know, you have a right to be entertained, and I I completely agree. And and all the all the things that I'm all the points I'm going to make about IO, um, where I I'm, I think you did miss a few things and misunderstood a few things as well. I totally understand how that happened every time because it's a flawed film. It really is. So, yeah, that's the, that's the start of my pitch anyway. 
Oh my god. I can imagine Paul huffing and puffing and having to do some work here. I'll do what it for you. you. What? what are you talking about, Richard? Can you make your criticisms clear? I'm just saying you, you're lazy, Paul. You watch your films like the way you cut your food. It's just <laughs> oh, any Christ. old crap on a plate. Isn't I mean, it? it's just, it's just. You're going for the character assassination. Yeah, it is a character assassination. It's just broad strokes. <laughs> it's just, just food and approaches to work and <laughs> my God. I never said anything about your work ethic, Paul. You said I was lazy. Only around your movie watching and your food making. Richard, I've got notes here. I take notes, okay? Look, I know you do. I thought you did them in your file of facts, though. Where's your file of facts? Oh, Christ. He's just not going to stop today. You see, you see, he's lovely when it's two, Alistair. When it, when it comes to three, then I have to play Piggy in the middle. Look. Oh, no. I feel like a third wheel now. No, no, no. Look, let's listen to Alistair, because I'm sure he's got very good contributions to say about the miserable movie. No, no, no. Go on. Oh, it is miserable. Oh, no. I, I, no, no, no. It is. It is. It's, it's a glum movie. Okay, would you would it be helpful if I gave a really brief synopsis of what happens in the film, just so that we've yeah. got a reminder of the skeleton of it? Do you know why there's ammonia everywhere? No, but I've got an idea. Oh. I don't know, oh, right. and that's a large a large part of what I'm going to say is a lot of this is I'm I'm not certain about a lot of this at all. A lot of it's left open to interpretation a great deal, but it does invite certain interpretations. Um, but I'm I'm certainly not certain about why ammonia. But I am going to ask questions of that um, okay. that you might be able to help with because I know you you chaps are both you have a sign you both have science educational backgrounds. I think I'm correct in saying. Uh, whereas my background was more in um, humanities literature and philosophy and that sort of thing. So, but that's kind of where I'm coming from with IO actually. Yeah. However, I should say I do also have. Um, an amateur's interest in um, things like nuclear physics. <laughs> amateur nuclear physicist? No, I'm not. But I'm fa- I do find science very interesting, um, but from an, a layman's perspective. And I, I, I'm keen, keen amateur astronomer as well. So um, You could combine those two. You, know, you, could, you could get your telescope and look at the power station across the bay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't do much. <laughs> Okay, so um, if you want a very brief reminder of of, of Io, well, confusingly, there's the there's the three names for the film as well, which doesn't help from the start, does it? There's Destination Io, which is utterly misleading, and <laughs> Io Last on Earth, which doesn't make sense. So, <laughs> um, so we'll just call it Io. Um, and I, don't, I also don't know why it's capitalized either. It's uh, whenever you see the name of the film written down, it's always Io. You know capital letters well maybe they mean io and like input, input output. output well i don't know i think i suspect they just didn't think about it I, I, to be honest i think there's a lot of thoughtlessness with the film as well anyway so the film is set somewhere in the near future it's on earth and it's set in in the very near future there has been a catastrophic environmental disaster where there's been a quote sudden and unexpected alteration in the composition of earth's atmosphere End quote, has rendered uh, the atmosphere toxic. Now, there'd already been an expedition to Jupiter's moon Io to extract energy by using uh, ge- geothermal techniques. And it was planned that um, that was going to be a long-term project. And I'll come back to that project. But it was also realised that they could repurpose the station that they were using for that to house a lot of people. Ah. So they sent... A huge number of ships. They said, uh, I think um, the, the narrator the narrator says that they sent about a hundred ships in one go, and uh, they all went to Io and lived there, and that became known as the Exodus Project. Thousand and one cars long. <laughs> That's the train in Snowpiercer, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, what, what the story we have though in the film is is based on really on one person who's a young woman called. Sam Walden, who is the daughter of a scientist who's who was famous, called Dr. Harry Walden, and she's continuing his work. He's died, which is something we learn later, uh, but he she's continuing his work, which involves genetic experimentation with bees. And she's joined by a man called Micah, who arrives in a makeshift hot air balloon, and he's there to meet Dr. Walden. Where did he come from? It's never said. It's never said. There are no yes. pla- no place okay. names are mentioned in this film at all. It only, there's the town, there's the city, 
Um, there's the mountain, and but other than that, there are no place names mentioned at all. And I think there must be something deliberate about that. Maybe it doesn't matter anymore because the film is set, I believe, it must be about 20 or so years after the cataclysmic environmental disaster Yeah. because Sam has no memory of the world before, as she calls it. And I think she's meant to be in her early 20s, so we can assume that it's... Uh, the, 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 place names just don't exist and she can't travel very far because she's limited by how much oxygen she can carry on her ATV, her uh, quad bike. When Micah realises that Dr Walden is dead, he says to Sam, I'm going to take you away from here, we're going to go on the last shuttle in the Exodus mission and we're going to go to Io. What happens then is they, there's a change I think in the timing or the location of where the next Exodus shuttle is going to depart from. Mm -hmm. And this means Micah realises he doesn't have enough helium for his balloon. How did they How did they figure out there was a change? There's a radio message that received, because there are still people staffing oh, yeah. the station, and it, something comes over, the um, like a CB radio, saying that, that I think it's either that the date's changed because of weather patterns. And I think it's either, the, and, or maybe both, the, the date and the launch site has, has moved. Although how you, I mean, that means moving a shuttle, presumably. So I don't, that, that's quite a big job. Um, but I don't, I don't know, but it, 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 it meant that Micah didn't have enough helium. So they go looking for helium en route to this site. And Sam wants to go and see an art exhibit that she really wanted to go and look at. And she's absolutely hell-bent on going and looking at this art exhibit. She goes off and does that. Micah finds her. Sam says she's not going to go with him. She mm. takes off her breathing mask. And that's kind of the end of the film. Sam, uh, Micah then leaves on his balloon. And we, we don't know what happens to him after that. And that's where the film ends. Ah. So there you go. That's a, a bit of a potted synopsis. Not a great deal happens in the film. It's true to say. It is a little on the dull side. There isn't a great deal happens. Personally, I don't mind slow films. So, Doesn't her boyfriend break up with her? Oh, the boyfriend. Sorry, I forgot to mention. Yes, she has a boyfriend called Elon, who, like, like Elon Musk... <laughs> Who uh, who lives on? Uh, who has gone to the uh, station at, at IO? Yes, and uh, she's communicating with him by. Well, I think Paul, you noticed it looked like a very old computer system, didn't it? It was it it did, all yeah. very. It was green screen, wasn't green it? Green um, screen, yes. But they're they are exchanging emails, and she's quite. A, he, they're looking forward to meeting each other, meeting up with each other. So she he seems to think that she's going to go out to IO at some point anyway, and that's always the plan. But uh, then he announces that he's been picked to go on the first mission to leave the solar system and try and find a new home on a planet orbiting... It's Proxima, isn't it? Alpha Centauri, which yes. is about four point something, something light, light years, years away. It's the away. nearest star to our sun anyway. And I know there was a big discussion that you had about the feasibility of the mission that they were talking about with solar sails and things like that. Now I've got no idea about that uh, about about that at all. But there will there is one thing I will say about the Exodus mission though, which is um, you were talking about geothermal energy and yeah. whether or not you know how are they going to get it back to Earth and how they're going to pipe it back somehow or maybe do I don't know maybe something like in Moon where they're going to shoot it back with a massive cannon or something like like, like that. But um, I I think. <laughs> I don't think that was ever the plan. I think that the the station around Io, where they were getting geothermal energy, was always planned to be the first staging post in a mission to leave the solar system. So I think it was the first phase of the Exodus project, which oh. was about leaving. So they were always going to leave. They were always going to. So leave they were the just going to farm the energy for where they got to at that point. Yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So it's a first place. It's a good place to get to. They, obviously, getting to Jupiter is is quite a big job in itself. Um, and then you're going to need a load of energy to to then leave the leave well presumably to leave Jupiter's um, orbit and also the solar system. But you're going to need less energy to pull away from the sun at that point. So that's why I think an Io is the only place you're going to get geothermal mm. energy apart from the Earth, I believe. So the, that's that's why they were going to do that it's a bit far-fetched i must admit I, I i don't i don't it's not it's not a really great um reason for going to io i think it's a shoehorned reason for going to yeah. io because i think there's another reason for going to io which i'll oh, I'll, I'll come to make sense of the name of the film yes i think maybe. so i think i think yeah i think they were just trying to i think it had to be a a one of the galilean moons one of the jovian moons 
Uh, sorry, oh. the, well, specifically the Galilean moons. That's the four big ones. Um, Io, Callisto, Europa, and Ganymede. It uh, has to be. It, what, for some kind of narrative yes, reason? Yeah, for, for, oh. for, for, a, for a subtext reason. Yeah, for a subtext <sighs> reason. So that's what that's the Exodus project anyway. So that's why there were so many shuttles ready to depart when it became apparent that things had gone bad. But Sam, in a narration at the start, does say that scientists had been warning for a long time that something cataclysmic was going to happen. Um, and then it showed the, what the, it was a, a really beautiful little shot at the start. I don't know whether you, you guys took it in, but while she was talking, I know, Rick, Rick, you said that 30 seconds in, you were already angered by the film, so maybe you didn't <laughs> you didn't take it in. But well, she was the, doing plumbing, right? That was what she... Oh, no, it's just before that. This is, this is <laughs> before when she's, when, when okay. she's, in, 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 she's narrating the start of it. They were setting the scene. And I suppose if it, it is Sam Walden doing it, and maybe she didn't fully understand what was going on. You know, she is... Um, you know, she's young and naive and what have you, so maybe she didn't really get it. But when they were talking about Earth's atmosphere dying and scientists having warned that, you could see one tiny little rocket leaving on where you can mm. see the light side of Earth, and that's the one that took the all the all the gear to to Io. And then when she said one night when the cataclysm happened, a um, hundred ships took off. Suddenly, you see these. Dozens and dozens of tiny points of light, which are the the flames from the rockets, all leaving on the dark side of the Earth and taking off. Oh, it's, really, yeah. it's very lovely. It's very very beautiful shot. And, and some nice attention to detail. Yeah. Well, it's one of I, I thought it was very beautiful. It's, one, it's certainly one of the most beautiful in the in something the I wouldn't have noticed. So here endeth Alice's defense of veritable defense of Io. But I thought that it was another movie that you were coming here to defend today, Alistair. Oh my god! Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> have I got him started or something? <laughs> Oh, oh, the beyond. Oh the God, beyond. no! <laughs> no, I don't, oh, oh, I've, I've barely got started with IO. <laughs> there's a there's a few few other bits that I wanted to mention with IO, which is um, another assumption that was made as about Micah's intentions. You you know, there's the bit where they, yeah. he arrives and he's really quite he's he's quite rude, isn't he? Yeah, um, he is very rude. Yeah, yeah. And Sam just kind of looks at him and looks a bit quizzical, and then they sit down and she gets him some food. Yeah. And he just sits there eating, looking really... Well, he looks like he's enjoying the food, but he also looks really sulky. And she's asking him questions, like a little kid going like, well, who are you? Where have you come yes. from? You know, and, and she... and she, So she comes across as slightly kind of irritatingly enthusiastic, and he's just not wanting to answer at all. And he does he does come across as rude, doesn't he? You know? Yeah. I think what's important is to try and think... I, I was trying to think, well, what, what are them... Why are they both acting the way they are? Because she's yeah. evasive. She lies about her father being dead, for one thing. Um, and she she's uh, evasive. He doesn't want to answer questions. And he just says, I'm just here for Dr. Walden. Now, I think that's the key point. I think you chaps, or Rick anyway, made the assumption that Micah had come to take Dr. Walden mm. to Io, to the Exodus mission to Io. I don't think that's the case at all. He, when he arrived, when Micah arrived in his balloon and then fell out of it and started coughing, yeah, and he, threw he, up, he did, up. You did point out that the balloon didn't just go straight up in the air, which is a good point. He doesn't say, he, what, what he actually says to Sam is, I'm here for Dr. Walden. Now, I don't know quite why, but that's when she starts looking at him suspiciously. She does ask him, have you come to make the pilgrimage? In a slightly kind of weary tone, suggesting that other people have come to visit before as well, yeah. which I'm not sure about. It's, it's hard to tell. But she's been playing recordings of Dr. Walden's broadcasts that he's been talking about. He's, he's on been, cassette tape. On cassette tape, yeah. He's been, he's been for some time advocating that people ought to stay on Earth and try to get make Earth livable again, and he believes that with with genetic engineering of bees, then they can repopulate the bee, you know, the the bee people on Earth and get the flowers and plants to start producing oxygen again. That's his idea. So he, he there is one of the one of his broadcasts is he's saying you know we've 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 been looking in the wrong place. We've been looking to the stars for our salvation, whereas actually it's here on Earth. So his big push has been to try and get people to stay on Earth. That's why Sam wants to stay. Now, Micah says, I'm here for Dr. Walden. And he also says, when she asks him, would you like some food? He says, I won't take your food. Yeah. But then when he, when she sees he's got, sorry, when he sees that she's got fresh fruit and veg that she's grown, he goes, oh, you've got fresh vegetables. And then he starts tucking in with some gusto because I presume he's not eating anything fresh for a very long time. Yeah. 
Now, fast forward a bit. Eventually, when he starts opening up to her, he talks about how his wife died. And his wife was got sick, like anyone who was on Earth with all this toxic air. His wife got sick. He had to make the decision to withhold food rations from her so I that see. he could stay alive because he's not sick. So, in other words, he had to watch his wife die knowing that he was making her suffer more by withholding food from her, yeah. and it made him feel horrifically guilty, um, about uh, which, which it would do, which is entirely understandable. But the only reason... Here's the kicker now. The only reason why they'd stayed on Earth is because of Dr. Harry Walden's broadcasts. Um. They'd heard him. They'd taken on board what he'd said. They were very idealistic, and they'd stayed because he'd given them hope. But it became obvious to Micah after his wife died that that hope had gone. So when he says, I'm here for Dr. Walden, he means I'm here for Dr. Walden. Uh, I'm here to do him some harm. Sure enough, I don't know if this is another little thing, uh, but he carries around a black, uh, sorry, a brown leather knapsack and he will not let it out of his sight at all. He's always got it over his shoulder wherever he goes. I was thinking, what on earth can he possibly have in there? Surely anything he's carrying, he could just keep in his balloon pod thing (laughs) but no he carries this thing around him and it doesn't look like it's got a great deal in it and at one point when he's kindly doing some work for sam sam opens the bag gets all the stuff out to have a look at it and he's got a he's got his old passport in there obviously it's useless but maybe it's uh or it might be his driving license i think that's just to prove he is who he is to the exodus people he's got a few personal items and he's also got a revolver and a load of bullets so he's there to kill dr harry walden and I don't oh. think he cares whether or not he gets to Exodus. I think he's just there to kill Dr. Walden because he's lost all hope because he was there. He stayed on Earth with his wife because Harry Walden gave them hope. False hope. False hope, hope. He yeah. sees it as false hope. Absolutely, yeah. And he, fe- he feels incredibly guilty and also angry about it. And that's why he's hostile when he arrives. He's, he doesn't want to talk to Sam. He doesn't want to see anybody apart from Harry Walden, and he doesn't want to take her food because he's he withheld food to keep his wife to keep himself alive and not his wife. So that explains Micah's intention. And then when he finds out that Walden's dead, I think he softens a little bit more towards Sam. But he says, "Right, well, I'm taking you away from here." And importantly, he doesn't give her a choice. He says, "I'm taking you," and I think that is possibly to rescue her you know out of compassion he wants to rescue her but i think also because he says i he's also saying i don't care whether you think you can carry on your father's Mm -hmm. work i'm just taking you away from this and now this brings us to the important subtext that's going on here which is actually to do with mythology and i think all is signaled all the way through the film sam's reading books on mythology which she picked up Uh. from the library and then the exhibit that she wants to go and visit Mm. at the end is one on mythology and just before she takes her face mask off at the end, she stood in front of a picture by a painting by Paul Cezanne of um, the famous Greek myth of it's a depiction of the of the Greek story of Leda and the Swan, in which Zeus, in the guise of a swan, rapes a young woman called mm. Leda, who is a Spartan queen, I believe, um, and then after after that, Leda gives birth to two eggs. <laughs> One of the eggs contains the twins Castor and Pollux, who uh-huh. are now part of the constantly then famous now for being two stars in the constellation of Gemini. And the other egg has two women in it. One of them is Helen of Troy, or becomes Helen of Troy later, and a, a woman called, well, a girl called Clytemnestra, who is the wife of Agamemnon, the king of, I think it was. Oh, where was he a king of? I think he was a king of Sparta. Hang on, each of these eggs has two people in it. Yeah, oh, it's, it's it's a myth, you know. Yeah, I understand that it's a myth, <laughs> which raises the question: is why didn't they just say four eggs? Well, <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. not it's just making it up. Yeah. Well, according <laughs> to some ver- according to some versions of the myth, um, one of the eggs was fathered by a human, and one of the eggs was fathered by Zeus. It gets complicated because there are different versions of the myth, but the important thing is that. Lady gives birth to Helen, who is the wife becomes the wife of Menelaus, who then gets kidnapped by Paris and taken off to Troy. Ah. 
Yeah, and Clytemnestra is the wife of Agamemnon, so he leads the Greek armies over to Troy. And there's this, obviously, this ancient, very long-standing, ruinous battle uh, war that ends with the utter destruction of Troy. Yeah, Agamemnon goes back home to Sparta, and instead of getting a hero's welcome, Clytemnestra murders him because she's taken up with another man, and that's why we get the lines. I'm just going to get my my big book of poetry because I've got there's a. <laughs> There's the there's the poem by William Butler Yeats that is, it's on the plaque next to the painting that they look at, in the mm. um, in the museum. And the last bit of it is this is this is from the poem Lady and the Swan by Yeats, and it's a shudder in the loins engenders there the broken wall, the burning roof and tower, and Agamemnon dead. So what what it's saying there is that. In that, in the moment where the swan, Zeus the swan, impregnates Leda, well, actually, it's more visceral than that. It's a shudder in the loins, mm-hmm. and it's saying that in that moment, is already, in terms of sort of destiny or predestination, the destruction of Troy and the death of Agamemnon, ah. because it's his, it's Helen and also Agamemnon's wife are the product of that union. A question that's often asked in the film. To by Sam and Micah to each other, and one that I know is one of Richard's favourites is, "What does this mean? <laughs> what's the <laughs> what's what's the meaning of all this?" Well, that that's the thing. I think what's going on here is that these it's there's a theme of the need for transformation. There's the need to end one way of doing things, and the need to begin another. And either staying on Earth or leaving Earth and going elsewhere is the begin is both an ending and a beginning of something else. If you leave one place, you can't stay in the first place. Yeah. So I think that's one of the things. It's pointing out that you need to kind of have a bit of a death and a rebirth. But the point is pointing out also that you need some kind of intervention from something that's bigger and higher than you in order to bring this about. So that's why there needs to be, you know, a, a, a godlike being needs to come and do this. I think there's also a parallel with Micah descending from the sky in a balloon. You know, there's a kind of Deus ex machina kind of thing where, where it comes. In an, I've also been reading Ovid's Metamorphoses, which is a, a later Latin retelling of a lot of the Greek myths uh, by the the uh, the Roman poet Ovid, and he also talks about two people called Deucalion and Pyrrha, who were the two people who were left after a, a flood where the gods t- wipe all humans and all life out. It's amazing how many um, ancient cultures have flood mythology, especially those around that are based around the Mediterranean, um, yeah. and how there's always two people left who then start to repopulate the earth. Now, another thing that I think, yeah, another thing that I think uh, is important that you missed is I'm going to suggest, and I could be wrong, but do correct me if I'm wrong. I think you may have missed the very last scene of the film, which is Sam standing on a beach, not wearing a mask, Hmm. and a young child runs up and stands alongside her, and the child is clearly mixed race, and I think how could that have happened? Well, <laughs> I think we, well. You did wonder whether or not Sam and Micah had, yes. had, had, had uh, got it on, and I think the I did. To that but is, I think it was quite cl- quite yeah, clear that they did. Yes, and and they did. And Sam, I think also. Do you remember? The, remember that she showed her dropping, putting, using a pipette to put droplets of some liquid onto herself, and she was coming out in all of these horrible wheels and taking mm. photographs of it and looking at. Um, and she was kind of keeping an eye on what that was doing. I was wondering, what is she doing that for? Why is she why is she dropping something nasty onto her skin to see what's going on? And Micah asks her about it. You know, he says, what do these pictures mean? Why are you doing it? And she just says, oh, it doesn't mean anything. She's quite dismissive of it. I think what's going on is her father, Rick, you asked, what's his gig? What was, the, what was Harry Walden's thing? <laughs> he was a geneticist. That was his thing. So he was doing, working on genetically altering the bees. And I think, this is my... This is my own thought that Sam had been doing something and she was gene- doing something to try to genetically alter herself in some way. Wow. Now, goodness knows what. No idea. I don't even know if you can do that. I've no idea. But I think she was testing the toxicity of water on herself to see what, what was going on. Because at the end, when she takes off her breathing mask, it is a little uh, ambiguous, but she doesn't die. Yes. She survives. She has transformed somehow and she is able to breathe the air wow (laughs) and 
therefore it would appear that the child of her and Micah is also able to breathe the air. Yes. And they are now what it's it's important well actually I'll go, I'll go back a little bit Micah doesn't want to get it on with her if you remember he's a, he says no we can't I can't no. I can't yes. but Sam says we have to so she feels that it's some sort of she's she's so her motivation is to keep Micah around so that she can effectively seduce him so it's a bit of a reversal of the of the Greek um, Zeus stories because there's loads of Zeus stories where he he disguises himself and has his way with some nymph of, or some of some sort. And these are the great origins of a lot of the Greek mythology stories and the, some of the characters uh, that come out of it. And in, in a way, he was trying to take her away. So the, the, an old use of the word rape was, for example, not, not necessarily sexual, but it was like a sexual assault, but it was sometimes just to kidnap somebody. Mm-hmm. So he's saying, I'm going to take you away from all this and I'm going to take you to Io. It could, you know, it's a bit like, um, the rape of Persephone when Hades took her into the underworld, yeah. uh, and I, I think you know she's Sam is also turning it around a bit on on Micah and saying no, no, we're going to do this. So she, you know, whether I, I think he was willing, so in the end, but you know, she, she, they obviously do have sex, and then she has a baby. It's their baby, and they are able to survive on Earth. But she insisted that Micah leave because the message that he was taking to Io was Earth is safe, the atmosphere is changing, please come back. And that was the message to everybody. Rather than going off and seeking salvation outside the solar system, she was her message that Micah had to take was please come back. Another thing is Micah is the name of an Old Testament prophet who prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem. But I think I think I'm right in saying he specifically used um, language of burning towers and destroyed roofs, which is again echoed in the 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 Yeats poem. A shudder in the loins engenders there the broken wall, the burning roof and tower, and Agamemnon dead. I suspect Yeats got his tip from the uh, some of the Old Testament prophets with that. Um, but, but I I think she's sending Micah out almost like a prophet to the people of Io. I think finally on the, on the on the on the terms of Io itself Io is one of the the most famous stories of of a, a young woman being taken advantage of by Zeus. And actually the way that Io is taken advantage of is Zeus described disguised himself as a cloud a dark cloud and somehow managed to rape, seduce and rape Io, a young woman, young woman Io, whilst he was in the form of a cloud. And of course, this film has a lot of clouds in it, toxic clouds. So I suspect mm. there's there's an element there. And Io actually turned into a cow, <laughs> eventually was transformed back uh, into a human form. So she, she undergoes a double transformation. So she's transformed from... Well, it's actually she was a sort of demigod, actually, but transformed into a into a cow and then transformed back into human. And I think that's the centralized metaphor oh. here: is that Sam is normal human, becomes something else, and then becomes human again. I think that's that's the that's part of what's going on here. The other one's Callisto, uh, the other one of the other great uh, Galilean moons, was transformed into a bear after Zeus has his way with her and nearly kills her own, and he's nearly killed by her own son but in order to save her Zeus transforms her into the constellation Ursa Major what we now call Ursa Major sets her in the stars which I believe is called a Kastarismoi in Greek which sounds a bit like catastrophe but it's not quite the same thing and who is the other one Ganymede was a, a, a young man who was um, similarly seduced and taken away by Zeus and turned into his cup bearer and is identified with the uh, constellation Aquarius and Europa was a young woman who was taken off over water I think I think that's about it for my uh, my subtext and my mythology but the thing is if you know all this before you go into it then I see, I did know most of this and what I felt was I liked it because I think my latent memories of all this were being tickled at the back of my mind yeah. and I thought oh yeah I can I, I kind of didn't think of, think it through whilst I was watching it but some of this was I don't know being triggered mildly so I I liked it because of this but if you don't if one doesn't know any of that and you don't need to none of this is very clearly signposted in the film at all some of it's very mm. clumsily done when Micah explains later and the swan to Sam he does a really bad job of it 
Um, I mean, he'd said he wanted to be a teacher at one point, but he never did become a teacher, and maybe that's a sign of no stunted development or something, I don't know. When he explains Plato's thing about people once being in joined bodies with four arms and... No, two arms and two legs, and then they got split up. That's actually part of... Uh, and I had, to, I had to research this, I didn't know about this, but that's part of... Um, the Symposium by Plato, and it's actually some words that are attributed to Aristophanes, who was a famous writer of comedies. So it's actually meant to be a joke. Mm-hmm. I don't think the Greeks ever really believed that. It's actually a joke. The idea was that he was saying, oh, well, humans used to be these spherical beings that rolled around, you know, and they were rolling <laughs> up Mount Olympus to attack the gods, and Zeus said, well, I'm having none of that. So he split them in two, and then they're forever seeking each other. He also said that they were of three natures. One of them was wholly male, one of them was wholly female, and one of them was androgynous. Um, and it's the wholly male ones are now, are represent, uh, well, they explain why some men are attracted to men, um, which of course was a, a, a practice that was very much encouraged in Athens at the time. Um, the, those that were entirely female gave rise to women who were attracted to women, I don't know what the Greeks thought of that. And then the androgynous ones, no one wrote about that, it didn't matter. And uh, the androgynous ones were men and women who had, it said that they felt that they they always needed to come together. Paul, how are you feeling right now? Uh, well, I, I'm just stunned and in awe at this, you know, the ascent into the mount, into the rarefied air in the mountains of uh, Alice's mind. You know, it's like, uh, yeah, so... Yeah, we're out of our depth, man. I've, 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 well, it's just it's just to point out there is more depth in that film than than it might first appear. But the point, right? I'll, I'll, I'll just if you Paul, if you don't mind me quoting what in your concluding comments on IO, you did say you didn't think it was an allegory. It's not written that way, and I'm going to say actually very much in your support here that oh. actually I think you're wrong and right because I think I think it, to be wrong, I think it is an allegory for the reasons I've said. I think it does have oh, allegorical. Yes. Yeah. It's a very elusive at the very least. However, you are but it's not right. Written- it's not written that way. Yeah. All of this, you'd never get any of this from watching it. It's far too vague. It, it just doesn't. Yeah. There's no the, the 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 script doesn't give you any of this. It's it's poor. You know. But do you think it was written on the skeleton of of, of, of these myths, or do you think they were, as you say, shoehorned in afterwards? No, I think it was written with them in mind. I'm I'm, I'm only guessing, but I yeah. think that's what they were trying to do. But they just didn't do it very well. I think. I think it's. I don't think they're there by accident. I don't. I don't. Otherwise, there's no story at all, is there? Because uh, the story, the the more kind of down to earth mm. scientific aspects of the story, I think, as you rightly did in your podcast, they're not very good. They're they're quite badly they don't done. And I've and I've yeah. I've I've already mentioned privately to Rick that I think that the science in the film is bad on purpose because Sam isn't necessarily a good scientist. You know, um, yeah. she's she's doing her best, but she's not had any formal training. She's presumably learnt what she did from her dad, and he may not have been able to teach her very well. I mean, she's not doing too bad, you know. <laughs> so, so essentially, if I could summarise what, what you're saying, Alice, you're saying there are deep and dense intertextual associations with this movie. Yeah. But they don't necessarily add anything explain them. or explain anything <laughs> in the story itself. <laughs> Not really, no. Well, I suppose all the all, the only thing it can explain is that there have been cycles of of destruction and and rebuilding, natural ones that are not human that have taken place on Earth before. Yes. Um, so it is. It is a apparently a catastrophist view. There's a there's apparently a. a, a, a I forget. I don't know what science is. Is it maybe an environmental sciences view that that that's how Earth has developed as it is now? That that it. We, our Earth is the result of a series of catastrophic events. So there's things like going back to the the last heavy bombardment, which is when we last got peppered with large yes. numbers of meteorites, and then things like the extinction events that got rid of the dinosaurs, for example, and those sorts of things. And maybe What's the Hindu myth, the Shiva, the destroyer, and yeah. the, oh, that's right, uh, the caretaker or something. <laughs> the other one it's is the... Brahma, the creator; Shiva, the preserver, and. Kali the Destroyer, I think. Yeah, but that's, that's right. Yeah, the, right. It's, the, it's that cyclic idea of things coming to an end and then beginning again. Um, yeah, which was an Eastern idea that had started to get into Western thought, certainly mm-hmm. at the first beginning of the 20th century, which is when people like Yeats and Eliot were writing and they were starting to incorporate that into a, a kind of a more philosophical strain of Christianity that was looking at um, death and rebirth and the ending of cycles and the beginnings of new ones and things. Certainly scientifically, it's not without merit as an idea, the idea that, mm-hmm. you know, that 
that stars, for example, you have a, you have stellar cycles where a star forms, does its starry thing for billions of years, and then I you know maybe explodes and then forms the stuff that other stars are made of. So I think that's I think that's what it's getting at is that we don't necessarily have the answers to everything. We can't necessarily explain things. I suppose if we, if we could we could see it maybe as a a skepticism of just depending on science alone for things, and that it's not always the entire answer to everything, and that sometimes stuff happens that is just out of our control. I mean, interestingly, whilst they're talking about environmental problems at the start of the film, it's not mentioned what causes the catastrophic event. So we don't know whether or not it's something to do with humans, but I suppose it's theoretically possible that the atmosphere could suddenly shift. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I, I don't... I'd I'd love to, I'd love it if if anyone could say anything about that if 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 it is possible for the atmosphere to suddenly have a massive shift where there's an something is in it gets in it that makes it toxic for everybody. What I don't know is this is an interesting one is that when she does a a cigarette lighter the flame's purple. Um, so I looked up what gives a purple flame or a you know like a violet flame. And the only potassium, t- it is. It? I think it is potassium. Yeah, yeah. It's not mm. not ammonium. Ammonium apparently gives you a, a yellow flame and doesn't burn anyway. Really, apparently. Um, but yeah, it's potassium. So maybe there's I don't know something put a lot of potassium in the environment. I really I really don't know. So um, what you're suggesting here is a a random walk of cataclysms and catastrophes have defined our development, which kind of goes against an idea of constant or continuous or traceable progress, doesn't it? Yeah, apparently the the opposing view to catastrophism is uniform yes. uniformitarianism, I believe, which says wow. that the Earth formed whole and solid, and then has gradually undergone things like erosion over millennia. The idea of continuous or describable change. Yes, yeah, yeah. but it's it's one process with, one process, with no mass, yeah. with no sudden yeah. um, things. Maybe there's a link to the Gaia myth. I mean, that's another. That's James Lovelock's idea of um, of the, the Gaia hypothesis. Sorry, that the, the Earth is a kind of an organism in itself, mm-hmm. and we're part of that that whole as an organism. Of course, Gaia is another thing from Greek mythology. She was one of the Titans. Uh, she was the Earth Titan. Um, How do you remember all this, Alistair? Oh, I I did uh, courses in ancient history and classics ah, and stuff like that. So see. I've got I did There's I did no a course in med- medieval themes and images as well which uh which included an awful lot of this stuff because they it was still very alive in the medieval european consciousness as well wow so um oh here's an interesting one for you richard you were asking where where does she know how does she know where to find helium because um, yes. that what that was bugging me a bit actually because she says <laughs> in the film I know where we can find some helium. And Micah goes, all right, well, we'll go and get it. And she says, oh, the only thing is, it's further than I've ever been in the toxic zone before. I've ah. never been there. I thought, well, how the hell do you know there's helium there then? If you've never been. <laughs> Was it a Clinton cards? Did she know whether she, had she been a party entertainer before she became an amateur <laughs> geneticist or something? I don't know. But anyway, what when balloon sculptor? You see, this is why I thought he was so, Michael was so bad temper when he got the balloon because he was, he was high off a recent helium headache. <laughs> he was low on, low on oxygen. Yeah. Well, what happened, what I got was that, um, when they they go traveling into the zone, um, they stop at one point and they look around and Sam and Micah goes, "Why have we stopped?" You know, he's being grumpy. Why have we stopped? And Sam says, "Don't you think it's beautiful?" And he goes, "No, no, because it, it looks <laughs> crap. Everything everything's run down and covered in dead vines. All those vines are all dead, and it, so everything's run down and horrible looking, and it's dark and gloomy and grim." And he do, and Micah just says, "No, all I see is ghosts." And I think that just highlights their differing views. He sees everything that's just dead. He it, he's the end of the of the old world. Mm-hmm. He's the world that. I have to say, he's the world that believed science would save everything and, yeah. and his hopes were dashed by that. So he represents that and he goes, no, nope, all I see is death. And she says, I think it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen or something like that. So she sees potential, I think, is the difference. Um, and in, in the in the um, the museum where she ends up looking at this painting and then taking a mask off, there's actually a garden growing there for some reason. And that's mm. that's probably maybe something, I don't know, maybe we're supposed to think that's slightly divine. It's been protected yeah. somehow. It's culture instead. It's remembering what we are to be human, I think, is what 
he's be, he's wow. done there. So there's life still in memory, collective memory, and in human contact and in culture. I think is what that's trying to tell us. Now, where where they find the helium? When they get out, when they get off their bikes and they go and find the helium, what you can just just see in the gloom in the background is a roller coaster. So they've got the helium from a fairground. <laughs> <laughs> so it was helium that was used to fill balloons. <laughs> right. Anyway, so you've... we were kind we were kind of right with the Clinton cards thing. It was it was it was helium that was used for fun purposes. Because I'd wondered, have they gone to a hospital? Because they use helium to cool MRI machines and things like that, don't they? Anything where there's a superconductor. But no, it's it's yes. a fairground. They've gone to a fairground and they they spend the night in that in the restaurant that was the fairground restaurant. So. Anyway, my eyes are open, Alistair, completely. Well, I was going to ask you guys a question, something to put to you um, as, a, as, a, as a topic for discussion, which is... Why are we doing this? Well, Who the hell do we quite. think we are? No, 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 no. no. Oh. It's to do with yeah. science fiction, what the nature of science fiction is. Cause, well, we've talked about this a little bit before, haven't we? Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. I know that you, you do... You, one of your criteria um, for marking the films is... Arbitrary criteria. Arbitrary criteria. Well, I, I've suggested you should have a sex bot count. Yeah. <laughs> that was a, that was a, We've been missing sex bots quite yeah. a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, so but you you do, you do mark things on the veracity of the science. And I was wondering, are you, are you, are you working on, the, on a working assumption that science fiction is fiction about science? No. Okay. Uh, for me, it's, it's just a That's preference. Fine. Thank you. It's just a preference for harder science fiction. Right. Yes. That yeah, should be that rewarded was... in my mind. Well, that's what I was. Yes. That's what I was wondering because I was. Uh, I was going to say because obviously science fiction has subgenres, doesn't it? And there are various different theories on yeah. what it is, and one of them is hard science fiction. So a good example of that would be The Martian. I think is a very yes, good definitely. example of, yes. of hard yeah. hard science fiction. I was going to say these things can all coexist, can't they? But what I love about science fiction is when you get a story that asks you. What if, is, and my yeah. favourite example is Day of the Triffids, what if suddenly everybody on Earth went blind? What would that be like? What would go on then if everybody suddenly went yeah. blind for whatever reason? And then we'll add into that some walking carnivorous plants just to see what <laughs> <laughs> what if what if we combine these two ideas. But I I also think, and this, my, my favourite example of this is Interstellar, but I suppose Io touches on it a bit, is if we're going to save humanity from some sort of impending doom, what are we saving? What is it that we're saving? And I think Interstellar does it because it's, it, it posits a few options. You know, it says, are we saving individual people? Are we saving genetic material? Are we saving values? Are we, sa you know, and, and things like that. And it's, it's films and stories that ask questions like that that I really find interesting. But my final, my final comment on IO is I think it's, it would have been a much better short film and it would make a very good short story. Mm. Funny you should say that, because I think the same thing about the film we were supposed to be talking about today. <laughs> Although it's looking like a two-episode uh, uh, episode thing. Richard, today, we it? didn't find out. What, I mean, why do you score science? Is it similar to my reason? You know, to say hats, chapeau to to hard science. I think for me, science an important element of science fiction is it's it's a way of smuggling contentious questions about the present into fantastical stories about uh, a supposed future uh, and it's very often a way of engaging with ideas that people are not comfortable talking about here and now but we can pretend that it's about robots or about people of the future or alien species but we're really talking about something right now I think that's science fiction at its best but like you Paul you know I I don't want in that mix I don't necessarily want people who perhaps don't understand science to muddle people up. That seems to be a really poor use of everyone's time. I mean, if you want to do a fantasy, do a fantasy. But if you're going to present something as if it might be science-y, yes. just take a bit of care and not screw it up. Because otherwise you end up with people not wearing face masks and, you know, <laughs> and not believing in climate change. And that's dangerous, right? In our defence, uh, Alistair, I would say like Valerian and the... Uh... And the city of a thousand planets. I mean, clearly, it's kind of nonsense. This right? is kind of nonsense, but I mean, yeah. I, I would give it a high science score because it 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 imagines things 
with a different set of rules that are that are coherent. So, you know, I, I, I'm not a, I'm not against science fiction being imaginative, but like Richard says, if it presents a version of a universe that is our own, and yeah. it, 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 it's presenting humans in that universe, I kind of want it to to have some sort of scientific veracity. Does that make sense or not? Absolutely, because I think otherwise it's just sloppy, isn't it? Yeah. It's yeah. just it's just been done badly, uh, and and that's why I think your objections to the science that you saw in Io were entirely reasonable. You know, apart really from this, we got wrong. <laughs> no, your objection to the science was absolutely apart. Well, I, mean, I, I think, think I, I objected to chemosynthesis. I'm not sure if I did or not. I can't no, no, I think you just said you would not heard the word before. Uh, I think, if I remember rightly. No, I think you don't. I don't think you had a. I don't think you said it wasn't a thing. I think you just said it's not a term you were familiar with. Mm. I think the only thing is that you you missed. Or maybe misinterpreted was I think you overemphasized the role of ammonia. <laughs> I, I, um, it, it is only mentioned once, yeah. <laughs> um, but other than that, I mean, yeah, the science you see in that film isn't isn't very good. But I I'm I'm reaching by saying that I think that was not very good on purpose. I could be wrong. They may just have yes. not been very good about it. Yeah. You know, I'm 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 confessing that as a possibility that they may just not but have known what they were it wasn't their, it, From your description, it just wasn't their priority, was it? That wasn't the story they were really trying to tell. No, but I think there's better ways of of pointing out that you can be over dependent on on something like mm-hmm. a you know a rigidly dogmatic scientific approach to a problem that's bigger than that. There's better ways of doing it, I would imagine, than than just having somebody muddling along doing dodgy science, and then uh, you know things like uh, one of her bees survives. Yes, M- mm. and Micah gets dead excited about it and goes, "What does it mean? What does it mean?" And she just goes, "In one of his one of the numerous what does it mean moments," and she just goes, "Oh, it doesn't it doesn't mean anything," and lets it fly off. <laughs> well. I mean, I, I've now read it with, with the other, all the other work I've done on this film. I've now read into that, that she's gone, aha, something has survived. This means the Earth is survivable. And that's when she decides, right, I'm going to ah. stay here. I'm going to have my way with you and we're going to repopulate the planet somehow. Bees are big in uh, Greek mythology as well, aren't they? Bees, yeah. Aren't yeah, they? they are, yeah, yeah. Wait, yeah, so I'm having can... what Alice is having. I want some of that for my brain too. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right, listen. Well, can I just say one thing before we move on? Oh god, damn. I'm going to summarize my new my new understanding of uh, of I.O. on the basis of having listened to Alistair's very, 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 very acute and accurate. Uh, I don't know analysis. I mean, textual analysis of this thing. Uh, it's a mythologically tightly interwoven truffle of a movie. You know, it's a truffle of a movie. You really have to search and sniff it out. And if you've got the hounds and horses of a classical education like like Alistair, you can get your classical education servants to do it for you. But for, and and it's a wonderful truffle. But for the rest of us who just want sustenance, this is just too much effort to get the calories from a truffle. Would that be I fair? I just wanted a mushroom, mushrooms on toast. I just wanted mushrooms on toast. You, you know, you're gonna need a genetically engineered pig to sniff out <laughs> your mushrooms in. Oh, it's ammonia pigs, filled. not hounds. I forgot. That- yeah. There was a genetically engineered pig in the film, if you recall, because there was yes. a pig Lucy that couldn't stand up and died. I mean, what the hell? <laughs> what the- <laughs> poor Lucy. I, I know, poor Lucy. But I thought, what, what have you even shown us that for? Why you have to show me a crippled pig? You horrible people. It's just it's deep, deeply, deeply weird. <laughs> oh, by the way, there was one more thing I just remembered. You were complaining that you never see Io in the film. Actually, you do. You do, and not just yeah. through a telescope. Ah, not oh. just through the telescope, because you were oh. absolutely bob on with what you said about that. Even with that really big telescope that she's <laughs> li- living, she's living in an observatory, and even that really big telescope, you don't get anything like that. No, you wouldn't. You certainly wouldn't be able to see a space station orbiting. You'd see Io. You know, you can see you can see the Galilean moons using binoculars with a pair of binoculars. Yeah. yeah, and they're wonderful things to look at. But and you could get, you know, you could. I don't think you'd be able to resolve any sort of surface detail. Of, uh, of of Io or any of the, the I mean these moons are as you pointed out proper big they are huge they're really big you know three of them are bigger than our moon um, it's only Europa that's smaller um, but the, there is one shot and it's about halfway through the film it's completely unrelated to what what's going on as well um, but for some reason it cuts away and you do see what's clearly a close up of Io with the space station in front of it. 
that's meant that's, that's, that's oh, okay. from the perspective yeah. of something in orbit around it, and you do see. It. I think it's just to remind you that it's there. I don't. I don't know. Uh, and it looks really nice. It's a beauty, but it's about three seconds, if that. And it, it's one of those things. Why have you? Why? Why? I just thought as a, as a story, there must have been even with the the themes they're trying to evoke, there must be a better way of doing it than this. Mm. You know. So I like it, but. It, it's it's flawed. <laughs> so, what would your score be, Alistair? Before we move on, yeah, if I, I was going to say, give if it I were to give it an overall score, I would I would give it. Um, I think I'd give it a five because oh. I'd say I love the ideas are good. There are some good ideas there. There is some good knowledge there, hmm. it, and the acting's good. I think the I, I do like the acting. I think it's it's a hard ask for two people really to carry a film yeah, um, and, and i think they did a good job on that and it's well shot you know there's some good the cinematography's fine but the the story and the, you know the the pacing of it and everything it, it's just woefully lacking i i appreciate it because of my background and because i've done a ton of work to try to get to this, <laughs> to, this to this point more than I would normally do from a film, but I do think I do think, and do you not agree with this though? It is a good lockdown film, though. I think I, you know, oh yeah, in that sense, you know, because they really they are stuck, aren't they? They are very much. So. They are locked down. I was going to suggest you guys maybe go into submarine films actually for Ooh, a real lockdown nice. fix, something like that. Das Boot. Okay, Das Boot. Yeah. What I suggest is we take a break. I'm going to put the kettle on. Uh, a musical sting, but then we're probably going to split this into two episodes. So I'll do another intro, and then we'll talk about Infinity Chamber. Infinity Chamber. Cool. Yeah. yeah Sounds yeah. like a plan. Thank you.